Morning, King's Church. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is the second time we'll look at this beautiful gospel. Uh, Before we begin, let me ask you a question. I'm going to run back to it several times um, uh, as we go through. You'll find this text that I'm preaching on in your order of worship. It's right here on this page. If you want to reference that, if you don't uh, have a Bible with you, if you need a Bible, uh, we can fix that before we leave you leave here today. But here is a question I want to ask you. Um, it goes like this. Two, two questions, really. Number one, do you believe that God can speak to you? Do you believe that God can speak to you? Now, I think that most people, regardless of where they are on the spectrum of their belief in God, very, very serious about it, casual about it, skeptical about it, most people would probably say, I do believe it's possible that God can speak to me. Here's the especially relevant question, though, I believe for us, is has God spoken to you? Has God spoken to you? Has God revealed himself in a very powerful way? Because what we're looking at in God's word, which we believe is how he has revealed himself, and then specifically in the person of Jesus Christ, the supreme revelation of who God is, He has revealed Himself to us. And so can God, through the power of the third person of the Trinity, we'll get into that in just a minute, can God reveal Himself in a special way to you, and speak to you in a particular way? Absolutely. But those things will be minuscule in comparison to how He has revealed Himself to you in His Word. So going into the Gospel of John this morning... um, we're, we're looking at this question as we go through, especially this first chapter of the Gospel of John, of who is Jesus Christ. I think the Gospel of John, the book as a whole, um, all 21 chapters of this book, uh, of the Gospel of John, is probably the most comprehensive, some have argued, the most comprehensive treatment of the question, who is Jesus Christ? And what we see in the first 14 verses of, the, of chapter 1, and we'll be looking at a significant chunk of that, uh, is the prologue, if you will, to this gospel, where, where we're going to see the themes that John's going to go back to time and time again as we march through the gospel of John. Themes like we're going to talk about today, like life and the word and witness. Those themes, you'll see him continue on. It's, he's really as a great writer has really summarized everything he's going to say in a very few chapters. But this, this specific chapter and the verses that we're going to look at deal with who the person of Jesus Christ was, not as much on what he did, specifically the crucifixion. Okay? He'll get to that. John writes a lot about that. Okay? But this is specifically the nature of who Jesus is. And I, I think that that is the most the most important question in the world. We talked about that last week. I don't think it's a hard case to make. Jesus is arguably, uh, pretty easily arguably, the most significant figure in human history. And if you're any kind of responsible intellectual person, you have to deal with the question, who was this man, and then specifically, how did this movement the church of Jesus Christ was spread throughout the entire world in a relatively short amount of time to all different types of people and intellectual statuses and the whole gamut. How did that happen? Whether it doesn't matter which side of the coin you fall on, you've got to answer that question. And there are several common answers to that question. 
Um, one, I believe everything he says. I'm going to follow him with my life. And I think you won't be shocked if you know that's the direction that I would love for all of us to take. Okay? But there are several other common. One we talked about last week, that he's a good teacher. Mentioned it, and I won't, so I won't go into detail, but that doesn't work because he claimed he was God. And if he knew he wasn't God, then he's a liar or he's a lunatic. Okay? So you can't claim that he was a good teacher because he claimed that he was God and a good person wouldn't lie like that or a good, good teacher wouldn't be insane. Another common response um, is that he's a path to God. He's one of the paths to God of several. There's, a, there's several things that we could say about that, but I will say just this. Jesus, when he was about to die, when he was about to suffer, one of the most painful deaths a human could experience in the crucifixion, and then theologically we learn from the rest of the Bible that he was about to absorb the wrath of God, and he asks his father, Dad, can you let this cup pass? Is there any other way? What does God say? Silence. No, there's no other way. So if Jesus was a way, then the Father's just abusive. Because there's no reason that Jesus would have had to go through that. The reality of the gospel is this. There had to be payment because of the significant weight of sin. Yours and mine. Okay? Another response. And this is the one that I think we, we probably find the most in the South. Okay? Uh, as there's a cultural aspect to Christianity that lingers some, though it is dissipating. Okay? And that is that He is God. I just have this kind of passive relationship or this end. I really do believe that He is who He says He is in, in the Bible, but I really uh, don't follow Him or consider Him to be my King. And if that's the case, you, you can't find an indifferent or passive God on any page of the Bible. Uh, from Genesis 1, where He speaks and everything comes into creation, to the final, book of the, for the final book of the Bible where everything comes into fullness. Okay? God is intimately involved in the world and in our lives. And if God is just passively indifferent to us, He can offer you no security. You'll never know how you stand with Him because He's distant. That's not what we learned here either. What we learned last week is uh, the first four verses or the first three verses of John chapter 1 was that Jesus claims that He is the Word. And we talked about how this is significant to the Hebrew mind because in the beginning of the Bible, it says that God created the entire world by His Word. Okay, And it was also significant in the Greek mind because that Greek word for word, logos, means the meaning of life. That's how philosophers categorized it. And then one of the things that's significant that I didn't talk about last week was this element of a word is the very expression of God. How can you know the thoughts that are in my head right now? Unless I speak. Jesus is called the Word. He is the very expression of God. If you want to know how God would act in a particular situation, look at Christ. That's how God would act. He is the Word. He is the expression. He is the means by which you can know God. He's the expression of who He is. And then today, we'll look at how He is the light. 
Understanding that Jesus, last week we looked at the fact that Jesus was eternal, He was before, that He was, he was a creator, uh, that He is the, the second person of the Godhead. There's so many things that we talked about. And this week we're going to continue to look at who the person of Jesus is, and here's why. The reason it's important, Alistair Begg, one of my favorite uh, pastors, says this, if, if we go wrong on Christ, we go wrong on everything. If we go wrong on Christ, we go wrong on everything. And just an interesting illustration on that, the, uh, the agents in the government that detect counterfeit bills, you know, how they, you know how they do that? You know they can tell a counterfeit? There's two methods. You could study all the different types of counterfeits out there, and you could memorize how they look. But that's not the way they choose. They study the genuine article. And so anytime the counterfeit comes along, they're able to detect it because they know the genuine article. And my challenge to you today is, do you know the genuine article personally, but do you know about him? Okay, it's one where we're talking about how the fact he's God-man. We're talking about the fact that he was, he was before time. We're talking about the fact that he, was, that he was light, that light comes from him. These are significant issues because if you go wrong on Jesus, you go wrong on everything. Tracking with me? All right. So, let's go, let's turn our attention now to the Word of God. John Chapter 1, and I'll begin reading at verse 4. This is God's Word. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And there came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. and He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who do receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we spend a few minutes worshiping you over your Word, I ask God that you would help us, and Lord, that you would receive the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together over your Word as pleasing in your sight. This we pray to you, our rock and our redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's a big idea this morning as we're thinking about this parody that John makes between darkness and light. That darkness is simply the absence of light. Darkness is simply the absence of life. In order to get rid of darkness, you don't take the darkness out, you bring the light in. In order to get rid of darkness, you don't take the darkness out. You simply bring the light in. Our, the kids here at King's Church are phenomenal hide-and-seek-ers, I guess you would say, right? Really are. The, the most common hiding spot is actually in that little bar right there. They're really good at finding spots. I'm amazed at how good my son is. But if you ever play, remember the days where you're playing hide-and-seek and you're in a closet and you say the expression we give is so dark that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. But you take this little flashlight in there. You take one light on a strand of Christmas lights 
into that dark room, and aren't you amazed at how much you can see with just a little bit of light? Darkness is not a thing. It's the absence of light. And what's interesting about this passage is one, one of the things that we're, we feel, we feel this, we want this. If we want to have ourselves be right with another individual, we want ourselves to be right with God, we feel like there's, there's something that we need to do, that we need to pull this darkness out. But the reality is that what this passage says and what the gospel teaches is what we actually need is a light to come in. And the light is what does the work. So, three points, this, or four points this morning, right? Number one, without Jesus, we all live in spiritual darkness. Number two, the necessity of a witness. Number three, how to remove spiritual darkness. And then number four, very briefly, some implications on our lives. We all, how, without Jesus, how we all live in spiritual darkness, the necessity of the witness, how to remove the darkness, and then a few implications. First, without Jesus, we all live in spiritual darkness. This is fascinating in this passage where, where John is making this, uh, John is making this uh, illustration about how life is in Jesus and that that life was the light of men. And when, this, when John uses the word light throughout the entire gospel, we'll see this, it's one of his favorite themes. He returns to it again and again and again. He means the illumination of our souls towards God. That's what we need. The illumination of our souls towards God. Certainly, we learned last time we were in the book of John that inside of Jesus is the power for creating all of life. Okay? We talked about that extensively last time. But specifically, when the Gospel of John's using it in the reference to life here and how that light was light, it means that we have darkened souls that need illumination. In other words, we need God to reveal Himself to our darkened souls in such a way that we can see the truth of salvation. That is a reference here of what we're going for. Look at verse 4. In Him was light, and that light, that light, excuse me, in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Here's the reality. The human soul is in darkness. In theological terms, we call this the fall. If you go back to Genesis 1 through 3, the most significant chapters in all the Bible, where you can see how everything came to be and the massive problem that entered the world. We probably refer back to Genesis 3 almost every single week where we gather here at King's Church, and there's a reason for that. That's where everything went wrong. That's where the rebellion started. That's where sin and death entered into the world. And it is a pervasive darkness that's in your soul and my soul. A pervasive darkness. It's a darkness that you inherited. You didn't have anything to do with it. It just came to you. Because Adam and Eve, the parents of all human, the human, of the human race, allowed it in. And then it passed on to generations. So you were born into this darkness. And then there is an internal darkness within you. There's there's a side of you that that wants to go against God, that wants to rebel against God, that wants to do these things. And it's really easy to prove this. We don't want to talk about it in polite society. But it's really easy to prove this. Just go to any wartime situation and you will find darkness. doesn't matter if you're on the side that wins or the side that loses. Doesn't matter if you're on the side that has the justified position in your opinion or the one that doesn't have the justified, you will see atrocities. 
the human history is, is, an, is a history, there's some good things. There's some amazing things. There's some generous people. But human history is the history of darkness. It's not hard to see. In fact, it's, it, what's, what's a challenge for us is we live in unprecedented times in human history, times of peace. There's still plenty of darkness, okay? But human history is one of war and blood, scandal and abuse. And if we only could play the ticker tape of your thoughts just for one day, we would see this internal darkness. And then there's chosen darkness, the things that you choose to do, that your desires have been darkened, that you want the things that will hurt you. Um, your reasoning has been darkened. We don't talk about this one a lot. That our logic is flawed. I remember I had lunch with someone recently, and... and um, and we, we got into the, con, uh, the conversation, rather, of Christianity, and I was asking him, you know, what, what do you believe, and things like that. And we had a great conversation. I find, I find people, at least don't mind talking, as long as you aren't super preachy or anything like that. We were just having a conversation. And I did get the message of Jesus to him, because it's a beautiful message, and I don't know why anybody would want to hear it. And uh, I remember him saying, asking if he would be willing to actually study the Gospel of John with me just for four weeks. And we'll look at a few chapters each week, and I'll just let him ask questions, and I'll respond to it. It's one of my favorite things to do with people. And he said this to me, and it's, I haven't had this response yet. Uh, it's one of the reasons why it's a lot of fun to do, is you never know what you're going to get. And uh, he said, I don't want to study it because I'm afraid if I study it, it might push me away from it. That was it. Well, if you study it and it's wrong, then that would be a good thing for you to be pushed away from it, right? That's really not the real reason. I don't know the real reason, but what I saw was a break in his logic. And it makes sense. There's a break in my logic all the time. It's part of what has happened to us. In fact, the Bible describes this darkness as you being dead. Ephesians, a letter that Paul wrote, one of the apostles first verse says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. The dead body has no sensitivity to stimulus, can't see light, doesn't know darkness. And that's how the Bible describes us, without Christ, without the light, darkness and dead. There's nothing that moves us. There's no sensitivity. I like how uh, one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite pastors, Tim Keller, describes the deadness inside of us. One of the problems is we don't feel dead without Christ. We can still move. Like, I can still walk. I can still taste. I can still see. I don't feel dead. But in comparison to life in Christ, you are in the same way that a cucumber looks dead in comparison to a dog. Right? The carrot or the cucumber still alive, it's still a living thing, but in comparison to this life of the dog, it's almost as if it was dead. Or, you could make the same comparison in the Scripture, there was one man who actually started acting like a donkey, okay? All right? In comparison, a human being to a donkey, it's almost like if, if a human being was acting like a donkey, but almost like he was dead, because there's such a separation, right? And in, a, and in somewhat of a similar way, you don't, even though you're living and breathing, moving, tasting, and seeing, there's an aspect of your soul without Christ that can't sense anything. And it's completely blind and in the dark. And in Christ, we'll see in a few minutes, we see the, that you can have life and light. 
The other thing in this, under this first point is that much of human history is actually of God's people because of this darkness and deadness, rejecting Him. In verse 10 of this passage, He came into the world, and, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. And then even more tragic, in verse 11, He came to that which was His own, and His own did not receive Him. So I'm going to hold up my Bible real quick. This is where the New Testament begins. And this is the Old Testament. Y'all see the difference there in thickness, right? Almost the entire New Testament is about God creating a people. And then Jesus shows up, and they reject Him. He wasn't the Messiah that they were looking for. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 2, we read, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel, God's people, Hebrews, does not know and my people do not understand. We all live in a spiritual darkness. And in our honest moments, we feel it. Then number two, the necessity of witness to the light. You remember we're talking today that darkness is, is just the absence of light. In order to get rid of it, you don't take the darkness out. You bring the light in. But point number two is, there needs to be a witness. So, we look at verses 6, uh, verses six through 9. I'll read them again for us. There, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So let me, it says that, he, that John the Baptist was from God. little history lesson, real brief, on John the Baptist. We don't get a lot of details about his life in this specific book, but the, other than the fact that he was a witness to the light, okay? John's parents, in the ministry, dad was a priest, and um, he, his, could, they couldn't have children. And then miraculously, very, very late in life, they had John. And they said they were going to, and it was uh, the angel spoke to Zechariah, angel spoke to Elizabeth, this is what's going to happen, and and God brought it about. And then John lives a really strange life. He lives in the wilderness, he wears this camel hair cloak, and he eats, you know, total vegan diet. You know what I mean? Like bugs and and all, all all this other kind of stuff. Really, really strange, really strange guy. But he gives a life-giving message. The message was, repent of your sin and turn to Christ. He said of Christ, there is the Lamb of God. There is the sacrifice that we've been looking for. We'll get to that in a chapter or so. Okay, That John was the forerunner. He was actually the last prophet of the Old Testament. We don't typically think about him that way. Before John, there was 400 years of silence from prophets. John is the last Old Testament prophet, if you will, okay? Giving this good news of a Messiah to come. But he was a witness. Now, what was the significance about John the Baptist? It wasn't his lifestyle. It was the fact that he was sent from God to bear witness to Jesus Christ. Now let me go to verse 7. You'll see that why I think this is so important. 
He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him, through John, okay, so that through John all might believe. He himself was not the light. This is fascinating. And here's why I think this passage is, is so fascinating. A lot of us uh, struggle telling other people about Jesus Christ. And I had this struggle. I still do from time to time. I have to work through it, get over it. And we have this struggle because uh, we believe we don't have the right winning personality. That there's a certain personality that comes along uh, with, with being able to communicate the truths, this beautiful truths of the gospel to people. Or, or we believe that, that our life has to be perfect or in order. Or we believe that all kind of things, that these prerequisites that we have to have in order to share the gospel with people. And one of the things I want to show you about this passage was the, the, uh, the eccentric life that John led had nothing to do with the fact that, he, that, that people fell, that believed in Jesus Christ, he was simply a witness. He simply just gave the message. And that's the same thing that you and I are called to do if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And if you're, if you're skeptical about Christ and you're with us here today, that's wonderful. Glad that you're here. And one of the things, the reasons that Christians proselytize is they, they, or they, they, they share the gospel with people is we believe that in this is the only place that we can have life. And how much would we not love you if we didn't simply give you the message that we believe? And our job is simply just to do that, to be a witness. It's not your personality that's going to bring people to Christ. It's the fact that he died and rose again from the dead and you gave them the message. Okay? That's all it takes. It's passing on this true message. Point number three, how... How believing in Jesus removes spiritual darkness. Darkness is just the absence of light. To get rid of it, you don't take the darkness out, you bring the light in. Verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who receive him, to believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a, hum a husband's will, but born of God. This idea of being born again in Christianity, we'll deal with that a lot in chapter 3, so we won't, do all, we won't talk all about it now, but the reality is, is what this passage teaches is that for those who receive and believe, synonymous words, okay, that God gave the right to become children of God. You know, one of the things that we talk about in our house a lot is... Uh, you know how it goes. Somebody will have another's child to have something, and our kids don't get the privilege to have that particular thing. And we'll get, well, why don't they, you know, get, you know, why don't that? We, they get it, they get it. Why don't we get it? They get it, they get it. Look, they get it. And they had this argument. It's funny. This is a well laid out argument, you know, like all the people that, that have it and we don't, you know, and all these things. It's just, they've thought through it. It's like a lawyer's brief, you know what I mean? And they've thought through each step and how they're going to get there and stuff like that. And oftentimes what we say is what? I'm not their parent. I'm your parent. In other words, you have rights in this household, and I have rights over you, but that household I don't have any rights over. And in the same way, believing in all that God has done for you, this is fascinating, gives you rights to be in the household of God. John will explain it later. It, it, it gives you an inheritance. 
this beautiful inheritance, that God looks at you as a son or a daughter, and that every right that comes to a household comes to you. You know, it's actually illegal in our country to neglect your children. Why? They have rights. You know? You, as a child of God, have rights. Romans 8 says that as sons of God that you have received the spirit of sonship. You children, through receiving this free gift. And in order to receive this and believe, what has to happen, number one, this is the hardest thing for anybody to do. The hardest thing for anybody to do in, in this first aspect of believing is to believe there's no way you can do anything to earn God's favor. The whole reality of the gospel is this. There had to be a sacrifice because you couldn't pay the price. That's the whole point. The whole point of the Bible is the price was too high for you. There's no way that you could pay it. Okay, So something has to happen outside of you. And what faith is, is that transaction between you and God where you throw your hands up empty. Say, I don't have anything. I need to receive everything that you've given for me. And there's this transaction where, you, where God says, that sacrifice can pay for your sin. That righteousness can now be yours. There's that transaction that then happens. That's why faith is the key. For those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Now, we're going to save most of the reborn stuff for chapter 3, but just a little taste, okay? Just a little taste. When John talks about being born again, he's talking about the Holy Spirit being surgically engrafted into your life. A completely different, in other words, that what, what being a Christian is, is not turning over a new leaf in your life. It's getting a whole new root, okay? A whole new root to beginning with. It's not, in other words, as, as, as again, my friend Tim Keller said, it's not simply making a, a horse jump higher. It's giving a horse wings and making it fly. It's completely different. In other words, Jesus didn't come to make you more ethical. He came to make you alive for the first time. And that's the reference here in this passage. Darkness is just the absence of light to get rid of it. You don't take the darkness out. You bring the light in. So a couple questions as we close, as we think about the implications. Questions that I invite you to think about now, questions that I invite you to think about the rest of the day, questions maybe you can talk about in community group. The things that I believe that you have to ask yourself is, what else in your life are you looking for to bring light? And then secondly, is it working? I can't answer that question for you. But I would challenge you. You know, perhaps you get stressed out. I, I don't understand you runners. This is a side conversation. I just don't understand people who like to run. I hate to run. It was always punishment. It always will be punishment. But anyway, I know there's a large contingency of you that enjoy it, right? Maybe that's your thing. You're feeling down? You go take a jog. What's the problem? You're going to be down again. We... 
There's all kind of different things that we do to look, that we look to bring light, but they just don't last. Second question, what is your view of darkness? What do you think darkness, spiritually, that's what we're talking about here, soul darkness is? The scriptures call it death, complete blindness, okay? In, G, in, in your mind, who is Jesus really? Do you have light? Do you have this new birth? Have you been given the new root? Here's a good way to ask that question, because we hear that question a lot. But let me ask you this question. Is your life constantly being rearranged by Jesus? Constantly being rearranged by the Word of God. Okay? Do you have peace, joy, freedom, and are you looking forward to an inheritance? Okay? And then the last question I'll ask is this. Do you understand the power of what it means to bring this light to other men and women? John was simply a witness. If you're afraid to bring this light to under, to, if, you're, if you're afraid to bring this light, you've done two things. You've overestimated your ability to save someone, and you've underestimated the power of the gospel. Simply be a witness. Darkness is just the absence of light. To get rid of it, you don't take the darkness out. You bring the light in, and that light is Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, as we uh, finish up our worship service this morning, we do ask you, God, in thankfulness for sending the light into our life. Uh, speak to us, help us, and help us to love each other. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.